from RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C., the Cosmos meet the Washington Diplomats. Brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beer. When you say Budweiser, you've said it all. And by the Volkswagen and Porsche Audi dealer organization in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. by your nearby independent golf dealer who carries quality Cruise Master tires, batteries, and accessories. See him for all your automotive needs. And by your local neighborhood McDonald's. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. All right, let's do this, everybody. How are you? What's new and uh, what's going on? My name is Tim Hanlon, and this is Good Seats Still Available, our curious little podcast uh, that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. Thank you tremendously for finding us and uh, downloading us, putting us in your earbuds, doing whatever you do to to ingest uh, this uh, crazy little genre that we like to sort of focus on that that being teams and leagues no longer with us uh, defunct previously domiciled whatever and as most of you longtime listeners know uh, perhaps the uh, seminal reason for why i've been doing this for almost three years now kind of got born from my uh childhood memories uh of a of a tremendously uh, successful and uh, perhaps i didn't even know it sort of really at the time uh dynamic soccer franchise known as the new york cosmos uh, back in the late 70s and early 1980s, they played at Giant Stadium and in beautiful downtown, not really a downtown, in the swampy marshes there, the Meadowlands in East Rutherford, New Jersey, uh, right next door to what is now the relatively new uh, MetLife Stadium, uh, built now in the shadows of the old Giant Stadium. But uh, for a number of years, some of the largest crowds were not for New York football Giants games or even New York Jets games for that matter. But that of the New York Cosmos, and uh, we love to uh, sort of offer sort of these little bonus episodes uh, in our uh, deeper uh, and uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, no stone unturned uh, exploration into that of uh, of the Cosmos and the, the legacy of that team. Uh, and uh, this week is a very special uh, endeavor towards that. And uh, we get into uh, a fun-filled session, both musically and uh, memorably around sports and, and the Cosmos uh, in particular. Uh, with our special guest this week, Steve Farone, uh, the longtime uh, drummer for uh, just a, an, a, a monstrosity of, of uh, phenomenal acts uh, over the years. The average white band, uh, of course, during the years during the New York Cosmos existence, and we're going to get into that. And the Cosmos theme uh, that you heard at the uh, beginning, at the outset, that's Jim Carvelis uh, that you heard uh, doing a, a promo, uh, an intro for an early season, I think it was uh, April 8th, 1979, uh, away game against the Washington Diplomats. And uh, yeah, the Cosmos theme produced, uh, created, performed by Steve Farone and his bandmates at the time, the average white band who were uh, quite the thing in uh, the mid to late 1970s on uh, the Atlantic Records label. Uh, and uh, that's part of the story that we're going to get into with Steve his memories, the uh, composition of that that uh, that theme song. I mean, talk about a, a legacy uh, in music. I mean, Steve Ferron not only was in the average white band, but went on to uh, become the uh, the drummer uh, for I don't know, it was maybe fifteen, almost twenty years with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers as the years rolled on, and, and was just an, an amazing studio musician session guy 
for a, a literal who's who of songs and uh, uh, and albums uh, from from some of of pop music's uh, uh, pop music's sure pop music's uh, greatest names, uh, Hall of Famers and all, Shaka Khan. And Duran Duran, Scritti Politti, the Bee Gees, Anita Baker, George Benson, Whitney Houston, uh, Brian Ferry, uh, uh, Pat Metheny, Steve Winwood. Uh, I mean, it goes on. Jeffrey Osborne and, and, and Paul Simon. It just goes on and on and on. And, it, you know, there's probably nobody in the uh, uh, professional music scene that Steve Ferrone has not played with or is not playing with now uh, as he continues to roll on in, in a many decades long career. And a lot of it sort of got its uh, fuse lit when uh, he was with the average white band uh, in the mid uh, to late 1970s. And that is when he and uh, his bandmates, Hamish Stewart, and, um, uh, well, I, I was, uh, you know, this is, I guess, sort of the classic version of the band, Ani McIntyre and Alan Gorey, uh, part of that mixture. When uh, the average white band, arguably, uh, the if you will, the house band for this team called the New York Cosmos, and the theme song for that team, uh, and we're going to get into that with uh, with Steve, and we talk about sort of how all these things, these cosmic things, if you will, uh, came together in Atlantic Records and Warner Communications, which owned the team and the label that that the average white band was on, and the number one single and album that they had, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about all of that stuff. Ahmet Erdogan and Neshley Erdogan and Steve Ross and. And all the great sort of uh, uh, sort of things that sort of came together that sort of made that sort of happen. I think you'll find it uh, fascinating and uh, intriguing, as I did with our guest this week, Steve Ferrone, or is it Ferrone? We'll talk about that in a second too. Uh, in our chat coming up uh, in just a couple of moments. It's as fun. Uh, it's a great excuse to talk music, and uh, and uh, Steve is a, a wonderful cat. And we look forward to sharing that chat with you in just a few moments. Let's get a couple of commercial uh, things out of the way first, however. And uh, perhaps uh, if you'd like to celebrate uh, the New York Cosmos uh, soccer team uh, this week, by all means, why not try out uh, two of our great sponsors uh, and uh, perhaps getting a few uh, items or, or uh, garb uh, wear, whatever it is, uh, by all means, check them out at sportshistorycollectibles.com. That's one of them. Our friend Dean Mitchell in San Diego. And uh, if you want to find some great memorabilia of the Cosmos and the old North American Soccer League in which they played, Check them out, sportshistorycollectibles.com, and use the promo code GOODSEATS, and you're going to get 15% off all of your purchases there. Uh, you're going to find a lot of fun, great NASL soccer stuff, and a lot of great Cosmos stuff, too. Uh, there's programs and pennants and media guides and buttons and stickers and all kinds of things. It's it's a, it's a uh, I send a kinder, gentler, and more well-lit uh, form of, uh, of, uh, of trade or eBay, if you will. Uh, and it's all devoted to great sports memories of teams and leagues of of, of the past uh, across a whole wide array of sports, not just soccer. But, yeah, you will find a great bunch of soccer stuff, NASL stuff, American Soccer League stuff, certainly Cosmos stuff at SportsHistoryCollectibles.com. Make sure you use the promo code GOODSEATS and you will get 15% all of your purchases uh, when you do so. And if you're a big fan of the Cosmos and the North American Soccer League, well, there's no better place, frankly. Uh, to get uh, uh, shirts that uh, commemorate all those great teams. And boy, oh boy, there were dozens of them, weren't there? At, at our friends at streakersports.com. They call themselves the purveyor uh, of sports culture. And uh, streakersports.com, uh, just go into the uh, defunct league section. They've got a whole bunch of other things, too. And you'll find a whole bunch of other defunct leagues besides the old NASL. But check out the NASL section, and you're going to find, you'll see uh, all the great teams, I think just about all of them, 
that uh, that sort of uh, pranced across your television set or the uh, green or sometimes patchy uh, brown fields uh, of uh, the old North American Soccer League. And uh, there are just dozens and dozens of shirts commemorating those great teams from the old North American Soccer League. Again, streakersports.com. Of course, we have a promo code for you there, too, and that is good seats. Yep, good seats. That's the promo code at streakersports.com, and you're going to get 10% off all of your purchases there. And again, that's streakersports.com. Promo code good seats. We thank them and... Uh, and, of course, uh, our friend Dean at SportsHistoryCollectibles.com and all of our great sponsors. And uh, that's uh, perhaps the best way to show your love and support for our show by making a purchase there. Of course, we get a little bit of uh, a little bit of love when you do so uh, early and often. And we appreciate your doing so. And, of course, we appreciate your uh, continuing to listen to our fun chat with uh, the great, uh, the legendary uh, musician and drummer extraordinaire Steve Ferrone. And uh, here's our chat we had just uh, just before the holidays. And uh, please enjoy. So first of all, thank you for, for, for taking some time. So let me ask you this question, Steve, because uh, maybe we could start just with the name, right? Because I heard you on the uh, Don uh, Cromwell podcast a couple of weeks back. Is it Steve Ferrone or Steve Ferroni? Yeah. Yes. It's both. <laughs> well, how do you get? <laughs> but, but most people, what do you want to be called? And and how? Do, how? Why is there even confusion in the first place? Well, okay, well, you know, it's a long story. It really is a long story. It, it's like when I was when I was born, it was actually F E R R O N I that they put on the birth certificate. And the only reason that they used that name at all was because when I came out, I didn't look like I was black. I looked like I was Italian. <laughs> so they decided that, uh, that, that they were, this woman had been to see uh, the midwife, had been to see a movie, and they had this guy who they could never remember his name, and his name was Ferroni. So she said, why don't we call him Tony Ferroni? So uh, they named me Tony Ferroni. But when I took color, my parents felt stupid with a black kid with an Italian name, so well, my mother did. So, so they changed the I to an E and pronounced it Ferone. But all my friends used to call me Ferone anyways. So, you know, it was. Uh, I, don't know, I just, I, just uh, I, I answer to both. When, and when people, when people read it, they say they say Ferone. If they ask me my name and I say my name's Ferone, they don't understand it. They say what? So if I say Ferroni, they get it right away. So I, I answer to both. Actually. Yeah, but but you don't answer to Tony. No, no, no. That's my middle name. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, that makes perfect sense. I think. Uh, I think even even the most diehard uh, music fan probably doesn't even know or understand all that story. But but but, but it sounds like it. Well, you know, it's very easy to understand. I was born in 1950. My mother was white and my father was black, and I was illegitimate. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to figure out is that it wasn't that easy. <laughs> In 1950, it wasn't that easy. You know, right now, nowadays, it doesn't really mean too much. But back then, it was a scandal if you got pregnant and you weren't married. You know, my mother, my mother got pregnant by a black man and she wasn't married. So that caused a bit of a scuffle. 
to try and stop the tongues from wagging in the dam. Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to have uh, uh, scarred you too much uh, as you went on your career. Arguably, it maybe set the tone, maybe for what became a very creative and musical career. So, as you know, this little show is focused on teams and leagues and sports that have come and gone, right? And the Cosmos uh, was certainly something that, uh, uh, that's why I reached out to you originally. And uh, before we get to that part of the story, though, and that's really where I want to focus, because lo- Lord knows we could spend hours, which I know you wouldn't want to do, about your illustrious career in music, because it's just, it's ridiculously long and amazing just to even get into. But for this part of the story, right, it, a lot of you in the cosmos, right, was was centered around this thing called the average white band. Maybe a little bit of background as to how you got to that band in the mid-70s. Well, uh, I was um, I, I was friends with the, the original drummer with Robbie McIntosh. We've been friends since I was about 17 years old. And uh, we met in Italy. And, uh, and then uh, I, I followed him into a couple of different bands. And uh, he, he, started, he started playing with this band, Average White Band. And I've been to see them play, and they were really good. I really enjoyed them. And then, uh, you know, we all we all sort of came up listening to the same sort of uh, same sort of music, soul music, American soul music. We were all very very much into that. Anyways, we did, well, yeah, we were just friends. Robbie passed away of a of a drug over, drug overdose, and um, I I was playing with the band called Bloodstoners. Doing a movie with about this band called Bloodstone and uh, sure, and Blood, said, Bloodstone, you know, a very well-known R and B group, right? That's right, Natural High. Yeah, they, they did a movie, and I was working on their movie with them. And uh, I, I, you know, I said to the guys, I said, look, you know, you know, I'm sure Robbie wanted you, you guys want to keep going, keep going, because you're just on the verge of having some success. If there's anything I can do to help. You know, and and I would go and play some gigs with them, and if I couldn't do the gigs, Stick Super from the Crusaders would go and do them. So both Stick and I were trying to help them out to keep going. And uh, and then uh, finally one day I was playing a gig with them down at Long Beach Long Beach Arena, the old Long Beach Arena, and uh, and after the show this little guy came walking up to me and said you got to be in the band. And I said, well, I'd love to be, but, you know, I'm on the contract to, to Bloodstone. And he said, you're out of that contract and you're in average white band. And I thought, who the hell is this guy? You know, and I said to the man, who, who the hell is he? And he said, oh, that's, that's Ahmed Erdogan. And uh, Ahmed Erdogan was the chairman of Atlantic Records, and uh, he knew what he was talking about. So I was out of that contract and I was in average white band. Well, that, so that's, I mean, that's amazing. That's yeah, Ahmed Erdogan's obviously a very big part of this Cosmos story in a second, but let, I, you put it in context, right? You're, you're coming in, you're invited to, or <laughs> uh, uh, volunteered <laughs> to be part of this band uh, at, at, at you're your, your, your being sort of charitable because this is when AWB was literally on the cusp of, I mean, they had a, they basically had a number one smash hit in the United States with Pick Up the Pieces. I mean, you literally and figuratively were helping coming up and helping pick up the pieces for this band. Absolutely. Yes. Well, six and I, six super and myself. We we we, we both uh, we both contributed. That was one of the reasons that we thought that it, that they should keep going. You know, it was, uh, they were really on the edge of just having this break breaking with this record, and uh, and, it, and it and it didn't seem like they should. You know, it seemed kind of disrespectful to Robbie to even think about stopping at that point. You know, 
even though everybody was terribly, terribly affected by uh, by his demise like that. It was a sudden death, you know. Well, but before we, we get off of this sort of point of it, uh, I mean, um, how, I guess, as a as a drummer, as uh, now a key and integral part of the band, how does how do you fit in so quickly what you're really you're supporting an album and a hit single and maybe even another hit single, you know, that arguably you, you really you know you weren't part of in the studio. So how does the band react to you and how do you react to them? And what's the vibe as you're on the road to support this album that you were really not part of creating? Well, you know, I mean, let me let me put it this way: we we um, went whilst all this was going on, the band was having auditions to find a drummer, and and I already had a job. I mean, I, I had a job with Bloodstone. I, I I wasn't really looking to join any band, although I really thoroughly enjoyed playing with the band. Uh, and, and like I said, we all came up listening to the same the same music. We had a a really big background in R and B listening to Motown, going out and dancing in the clubs when we were younger, uh, listening to Mar- uh, Marvin Gaye, uh, you know, all, 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 the, all the Motown, all the Motown acts, uh, we were like huge fans of that soul music. Otis Redding, and then, you know, then we got to the, all the stack stuff and Atlantic. We, we, we were very much in the, in, into the same kind of music, you know. And, uh, and so... That for me to sit in and play with the band really wasn't difficult at all. Uh, Robbie and I we, 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 we were uh, huge fans of each other's drumming. We were good friends, you know. I put them into a couple of bands. Uh, it wasn't that I sat down and and had to think about, you know, being Robbie McIntosh to join a band. I was always myself. Our styles were very different but very compatible because we liked the same sort of music. We had the same focus. At the end, so it was a relatively smooth transition, albeit for obviously the emotional toll and and the, the just the, the tragic circumstances for sure. Absolutely, I mean we were all really affected by Robbie's by Robbie Robbie passing. I mean we all we you know we'd known it. We were friends. We knew each other. We all, you know I mean I, I was mainly close with Hamish and, and with with Robbie. Robbie, I'd known I'd known years before Average White Band. Uh, Alex Lidgetwood, uh, uh, who ended up singing with Santana, he and he and Robbie used to play in a band called The Senate in, in Italy, and 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 uh, we used to stay in the same hotel uh, uh, together, me and the guitarist from my band, and and then there was there was Robbie and Alex, and we all we used to do was listen to music and drink, drink cheap wine. That was about it, you know. And uh, and uh, go and see people play, go to clubs, and uh, and, uh, and you know we were very 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 close. So in most of the most of the um, the bands that I've been in, uh, you know, uh, even down to the Heartbreakers, there's there's I, I noticed that there was a when I once I got to know you know Tom and Mike and talked to them about we were the same age, uh, we were all born in 1950. And when we talked about the music that we were listening, that we were listening to back when we were teenagers, we used to listen to a lot of the same music, you know. So that kind of made it an easy transition for me uh, to get into the uh, into the Heartbreakers. All right. Well, well, talk to me about Ahmet Erdogan then, because you referenced him earlier. Obviously, give our audience a sense of who this guy was, right? Because not only did he have an ear, but he was. 
he was uh, transcendent, I think, in terms of music at Atlantic Records. And then he, he heard something with you, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, he and his brother, uh, Nesby, uh, they, they, they started off as being like jazz fans. I mean, they were, they were sons of diplomats, uh, uh, Turkish diplomats, and they were, they, were, they were huge jazz fans. They'd go around and they'd listen to these people uh, making this music, making jazz, and and then they decided, well, let's let's record this stuff. Let's let's uh, you know they were they were they were you know wealthy guys from a, a wealthy background, and uh, they had some privilege, and they, they wanted to start recording this music, and they took an interest in the music. They were very much from the music. They didn't come into the business to make money. That was just by the side of it. They came into it really to have fun. <laughs> you know, they had fun and made an enormous amount of money at the same time. It was it was it was the perfect life for them. You know, and they surrounded themselves they surrounded themselves with with like minded people, such as uh, uh, Jerry Wexler, uh, Tom Dowd, uh, Arif Mardin, uh, some of the, the the guys that have produced uh, some of the most classic music ever. I was I was at a I was at a, a a video shoot the other day, and it was sort of a background a, a backup movie to the not the snake but what was the uh, the the movie that they made about the Los Angeles musicians the Wrecking Crew yeah sure Remember? yeah so so they so so it's got, and so it was like they're doing a follow up to the Wrecking Crew and I said to the guy well when are you going to do a movie about about the uh, the, the the East Coast and uh, East Coast and Memphis guys. I mean, it was like the the, the amount of music that came out of out of uh, uh, New York and the music music and musicians. It was uh, absolutely phenomenal. You know, so uh, you know we're talking about a different sort of. It's a different world out there now with the musically. You know, it seems it seems it's all about like the bean counters got hold of our business and they and they kind of forgot where it came from. You know, it was it was meant to be like fun. <laughs> and uh, and 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 music. Explain to me then what what the vibe and the scene at, at Atlantic Records in 1974, 75, 76, the middle 70s with the Erdogan brothers. You're mentioning Arif Martin. It just had to be a, 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 a I want to say proverbially once in a lifetime, but but kind of a unique situation. Uh, what that would that vibe was like? Uh, not only the band, but also just Atlantic Records generally. It was fantastic. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was creative. Uh, everybody had the space, the time uh, to to create, to, to to see what they they could come up with, to to even like go in different situ- different directions than than what we'd gone gone in before. It, it was an amazing, amazing, amazing experience to be there. You know, so many there were so many good friends, and they called it the Atlantic family. And you know, still to today, online there's a group, a group of people that were employed, the former employees, and you're talking about A and R, presidents, vice presidents, that are all still connected online, that still talk to each other, show up at each other's funerals, musicians. Uh, it was very much a family. You know, everybody really loved their job. And I don't know if that's around. You know, I don't know if that's around anymore. You know, I used to be able to. I, I remember, I remember once going and, and doing a session in in Capital in Capital Records, and uh, in in uh, Capital Studios in, in in Los Angeles, 
and I was downstairs, and the the uh, an A and R guy upstairs in Capital who worked for Capital Records heard that I was downstairs and came down and introduced himself and said, "Please come up and meet some people in the office." And I went up to their office and walked around there and said that they introduced me to everybody and loaded me up with, "Man, you should listen to this album, that album." They gave me like a whole bunch of albums and. Uh, and uh, uh, it was really nice to meet them, and, and and I had nothing to do with that, with that, with that, with that label. But everybody was sort of in the music business together. We all, everybody loved music, and whether you were on their label or not on their label, it was a, it was just a question of like uh, you know, you sort of like earn your stripes, and and they wanted to meet you and wanted to know you and wanted to know about you, and and, and therefore that's when. You know, great collaborations started to happen when people would say, well, can you play on this person's album? And some great music was made. Yeah, how much of that was Atlantic Records specifically or how much of that was just being in the music industry in its heyday? Look, I believe that the music industry was, 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 was pretty much like that. I mean, you know, I got a call once from Herb Alpert and he asked if I could come out to Los Angeles and I said, what, to work on something? He said, no, 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 just come out. I'd like to meet you for a second. You know? So he flew me out from Los Angeles, and, uh, and I went and met him, and we went and had lunch, and that was it. He just wanted to meet, I don't know, meet me for some reason. Uh, I guess that we heard some music. We talked music about music I played on, talked about his music, and, and that was about it. You know, the, that, I, I don't see that happening now in record companies. You know? I don't see that interaction between, between musicians musicians and and uh, and record companies well uh, let's also put it in perspective for our audience right i mean you're not just any sort of run-of-the-mill drummer right you're playing in one of the hottest bands uh in the mid-70s with the average white band i mean you're you're playing on on amazing debut albums like shaka khan's album at 78 i mean you know you you, you have a, a a distinct style and uh and and you're making a more than a name for yourself on a number of different fronts whether it's atlantic records or otherwise right so but but it does speak to i think that 70s sort of mid-70s kind of creativity that to your point earlier is is just completely sucked out of the the industry these days but i you know atlantic Records seems like it was somewhat unique in in the extremes by which it supported that creativity is that a fair statement yeah I, you know i'd say atlantic records was a was a vanguard in that in that area because but just because of the of the stable that they signed i mean when you think of it they you know the rolling stones foreigner average white band bgs i mean you know what they called wea warner electra atlantic was was a powerhouse it had a lot of chic. It had all these different, you know, from R and B, Aretha Franklin, you know, to to to, to Led Zeppelin. You know, I mean, come on, <laughs> one one label. <laughs> Think about it, one label, Aretha Franklin and Led Zeppelin. I mean, who has that now? Who does that now? They sort of they they put themselves in these little pockets. We do we do indie rock or we do rap. Or we do, you know, and nobody does that kind of, kind of, uh, of signings now that, that spreads, that just loves great music, not good music. Now you're not even talking good music. You're talking about great music, right? You say Aretha Franklin and Led Zeppelin, that's just, that's, that's a start. And then you got the Rolling, throw the Rolling Stones in there, some average white band, the OJs, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, foreigner, 
yeah, you know, uh, um, uh, the spinners. You know, I mean, it's 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 all and 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 still and still have a label that produces music from John Coltrane, Miles Davis, uh, McCoy Tyner, uh, Max Roach, Art Blakey, all the great jazz artists. One label. I mean, not good. Incredible. And still, still stands the test of time for sure. Did you know at the time how special that was? Honestly, no, no. If I'd have known, I would have paid more attention to it. Uh, look, you know, it's like uh, I, I went to see when I was a little kid. When I first started playing, I started playing with kids that were eighteen years old, and I was thirteen. And and these kids were like into into the blues, and they took me to see these blues blues tours with Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee and. And, and uh, 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 Lightning Hopkins and uh, Bo Diddley and uh, oh god, I mean just uh, John Lee Hooker, all the all the great blues artists on one tour, and uh, and I and I go and see that and I enjoyed it, but I didn't realize what it was I was watching until now. I mean, I think, man, I you know I should have paid more attention to that when I could see those guys like standing in front of me playing. So it's, these things, these things, you don't really realize, you know, it's that when you're in that presence. I went and saw Hendrix when I was a kid playing Brighton. You know, it's like, it's like I could have paid more attention to that too. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was. I had a great time doing it, but I should have paid more attention. Yeah, an amazing time that you were there at Atlantic and and with the Erdogans. Uh, but okay, so but let's also put this in context. Atlantic Records or we uh, Warner Electric uh, Asylum, right, is also part of this. A relatively newly formed conglomerate called Warner Communications, owned by a very interesting guy by the name of Steve Ross and and all kinds of stuff going on. What's your exposure to the rest of the company and and Steve Ross in particular, either through the Erdogans or just generally? Well, you know, I mean, I, I, my my dealings were mainly with with the, I knew Steve Ross was, uh, you know, and uh, and we'd sort of see him around. He'd say hello, you know, like hi guys, how you doing? And that was, that was it. And then, you know, when the Cosmos thing started, being as we're, we're from England and we were we were football starved back then, uh, that we started to go on Sundays. You know, we could go out and see this, these these games and they had some great players out there, you know, uh, uh, Pelly and Beckenbauer to name but two that were, that were, that were out there playing great, great football. And uh, we could go and see this and really enjoy ourselves. Yeah. So, uh, so, so uh, I'd see Steve Ross. He had, he's ever, you know, it's funny. Yeah. He used to be up in the, in the, in the middle tier, like a, just raise We always used to be down on the ground and, and he was up on this middle tier and he had a, a special belt made what he would put round his waist and put over the, put over the, over the railing and probably in case he got too excited and fell over the railing <laughs> that he would that he wouldn't fall all the way down into the crowd it was the funniest thing he used to have this special belt on up there but watching the game yeah it's it, hilarious it, it's true <laughs> I, I i've done i've read a lot about steve ross i've met his son a couple of times and uh mark and 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 indeed, I mean, he was beyond passionate about that that Cosmos soccer team. I think it's partially because, in many respects, like a lot of people, he wanted to get an NFL franchise. American football was uh, not able to do so, and he saw soccer as sort of his sort of next best opportunity to be a a pro sports baron. And it was packed. 
every that that stadium was packed every Sunday. It was just packed, jam packed, sold out. I, I, I was really having problems trying to figure out why there wasn't more of a. I, I, I don't know anything about the business side of it, but, but it, I, I was I was it was hard to believe that hey you know this has taken a really, really strong, strong grip on the on the, on the, uh, here in New York anyways, you know uh, I, I think everybody that was like you know South, all the South Americans Hispanics uh, English Scottish Germans Italians uh, all the mishmash that you got there in New York everybody wanted to go and see the Cosmos play, you know. And it was just fantastic. It was a fantastic moment, especially when we got asked to do the song. Let's get to that in a second. I just, but but I, just to remind our audience, or even just introduce the concept to our audience, that I think people forget in the in the mid to late seventies, uh, New York was an interesting place to be on a number of different levels. But but these Cosmos games were were a cultural phenomenon, right? I mean, not only were 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 uh, star musicians like you guys in the stands, but. But I mean, it was the cause celeb for everybody, you know, from Andy Warhol to Paul Newman, I mean, just the Rolling Stones and the, the dresser. I mean, it was just it was an incredible assortment of, of stars. And it was almost like Studio 54 West for a period of time while playing soccer as well. It was amazing. Absolutely. And it, uh, I mean, uh, it was great. I mean, and they'd, they'd have like I remember the uh, the Italian team came over and or the French team, French team. Came over and uh, and played the Cosmos, and so that was like a uh, yeah. I mean, such a cosmopolitan city like New York, anyways. You know, uh, it sort of brought everybody would come out and see their players, and and having such a, a international team like the Cosmos with English players, South American, Brazilian, Argentinian, Italian players, uh, Canalia, Giorgio Canalia. Uh, you know, uh, it was just wonderful to everybody went to see that. It was like it was like. It was just like this. This it was like this World Cup team with all the great players from all these all these great players from 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 around the world, and everybody went to see these people play together. It was wonderful, uniting feeling. Yeah, and and talk about not necessarily appreciating it at the at the moment. I mean, that as a kid growing up watching those games, right? You know, only in hindsight do you recognize just how cosmic if you will that that array of talent was at that time and and it was you know truly a, a special uh, blend of situation for that that team to be on there absolutely absolutely and it was just it was just so much fun and it was really it was just great it was it was we really enjoyed it and it was kind of weird for us to see football because they had cheerleaders and everything it's not like you really you know football games not like american games where the team the 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 audience needs to be told to make noise, you know. <laughs> uh, 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 football, well, I call it football. What you call what you would call soccer <laughs> in America. We don't really need uh, we don't really need much egging on to make noise at the at a, at a, at a, at a soccer game or you know, football. Well, well, I I can't I can't call it soccer. It's just really too hard for me to call it soccer. As I always say when Americans learn to call football football then they might stand a chance of winning the World Cup. <laughs> I would agree with that logic. I, I, and I highly subscribe to that. <laughs> All right, what's this? The Arizona Office of Tourism Spring Training. Oh, my God. Hey, this spring, follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for Cactus League Spring Training. Amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventure, incredible food, Arizona. It's the perfect home base for baseball fans. 
Follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for Cactus League spring training. 10 stadiums, 15 Major League Baseball teams, and 75-degree temperatures. Ah, awesome. And all 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area, all within 50 miles of the city. Meet players, get autographs before the games, and just enjoy an old-fashioned ballpark experience in beautiful preseason weather down in Arizona. Check out amazing restaurants and bars nearby, including tons of craft breweries like Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, and Goldwater Brewing Company. Enjoy live music from local and national artists and explore museums featuring everything from native heritage to modern art to musical instruments from around the world and more. Arizona is known for its incredible landscapes too, as well as thrilling outdoor adventures. So hit the road and explore Arizona's urban centers or ghost towns or artsy communities or quirky outposts. You can hike, you can bike, you can take Jeep tours, hot air balloon rides, skydiving, jet skiing, or just taking in a good old-fashioned sunset. No matter what you love to do, Arizona has you covered. Check out must-see destinations from your bucket list like the Grand Canyon, Monument Valley, Horseshoe Bend, and even the great Old West City of Tucson. Bringing the kids along for spring training? Hey, Arizona's a fantastic destination for families, too. Family-friendly resorts and hotels offer plenty of fun for kids of all ages, from water parks to horseback rides to games and activities. Arizona also has tons of stuff for kids to do and see, like wildlife parks and science museums, aquariums, and even dude ranches. So what are you waiting for? Plan now for your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. That's visitarizona.com slash spring training. Hey, and don't forget, send us a postcard. All right, what's this? ExpressVPN? Okay, well, so we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? Well, what I didn't know until recently, and... Truly, it's taken my TV watching game to the next level, is that you can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. For example, over the weekend, I used ExpressVPN to binge watch Doctor Who on UK Netflix. It was so simple. I just fired up the ExpressVPN app, changed my location to the UK, refreshed Netflix, and that was it. I got to watch all those shows as if I were watching in the UK. You see, ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, so just think of all the Netflix libraries you could go through. Hey, do you love anime? Well, you could use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. Hey, but it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works for just about any streaming service, Hulu, BBC's iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason that I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is that it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD with little to no problem. ExpressVPN also is also compatible with all of your devices, your phones, your media consoles, your smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen wherever you are. So, visit my special link right now at expressvpn.com slash goodseats, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show and watch what you want from where you want, and protect yourself all at the same time. Again, at expressvpn.com slash goodseats. One more time, expressvpn.com slash goodseats.
Let's talk about how this Cosmos theme comes into being. How do, how do you even get in the situation? Were you assigned this by, by one of the Erdogans, or were you, did you volunteer for this? Did you yeah, start clapping well, during yeah, the game? They, what? Well, they, I guess Ahmed, Ahmed talked to Arif Mardin, who was our producer, and said, hey, listen, you know, you guys want to come up with a song? Because uh, they, they knew that we were like, you know, the Scottish and English are just, just like crazy about football. We, we love football. And they, they said, well, you, know, you want to write, write a song for the, for, the, uh, for the team? So I had an idea for this. I had an idea for this. That was kind of it. And we sort of came up with this beat for it. And, uh, and Alan came up with the bass line and, and sort of put it all together and then incorporated this, which was like the big thing. Everybody did that. England, you know, we went to England, won the World Cup and back in, not that long before, but, you know, it's England. You know, so we thought we'd put that in, do Cosmos and it, put that in there. And, and, uh, and so we recorded, we recorded this, uh, we recorded this song. And, uh, you know, bang, out it popped. Then it came to like putting it to the team. Did the team like it? And uh, and and it was kind of funny because the team wanted to have as the theme song for them "We Are the Champions" by Queen. <laughs> but but uh, the the uh, the cheerleader said, "No, we like the other song. We can dance to that better." <laughs> so the cheerleaders kind of. Uh, won us, uh, won us, uh, won us the uh, the victory, I believe. So that's what I heard, anyways. So it, you're basically <laughs> you're saying that 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 it really in the studio kind of came together pretty quickly, then, huh? Yeah, I mean, I just, I just, yeah, I just had, the, I, you know, I, I, I just sort of, you know, I said I got this idea for, for the, you know, for, for like a theme for it, and then we just sort of expanded on that theme. Uh, I had the beat and the. And the that was that was that was the start of it. That was the uh, beginning of it. And it it got played not only after every goal in the uh, in the stadium, but also became a hallmark of uh, all the advertising and all the, the the Cosmos broadcasts and all that kind of stuff. Where did the name Cosmic Highlanders come from? Was that something legally that you had to do versus? Uh, Saying AWB, or was that just a kind of a, a kitschy no, joke? We, we, they, they bought it. They bought the whole thing. They bought it. They bought it. Like they bought the whole thing, and they, they. I guess they wanted that to be, to be theirs, and they, so they. They. Well, you know, we can't really say that you know, the average white man owned it. We signed away. We signed away any ownership to it at all whatsoever. It was our pleasure to put give some music to the cosmos, and that was. Uh, uh, we were honoured to be able to do that. 
So give me a sense then of, uh, you know, were you, it sounds like you're obviously soccer fans, but uh, did you, uh, did you sort of get into this whole Cosmos theme? Because it did seem like the scene, it did, it did seem like it was, <laughs> if you were a member of the Warner Communications <laughs> company, uh, you were, <laughs> you kind of had to b- uh, buy into the Cosmos thing, whether you liked it or not. But I suspect that you liked it pretty much. Oh no, we loved it. We loved it. It was, I mean, I mean, we were, we were, we were like football stars. I mean, when we went back to England, we were always going to games. You know, we used to go, we used to go to Scotland, England games all the time. And sort of being the only English member of average white man, you know, I had to go in disguise and wear a tan. <laughs> it was quite kind of interesting, but uh, we were kind of starved of that uh, being here. I mean, we used to, you know, back then we used to run around and play. We, there was a couple of clubs uh, up in Connecticut where uh, where Molly, Molly, and uh, and Alan lived. And we had a bit of a football team that we used to go, we used to go out there and play a bit. Like you know, Rod Stewart was out here in Los Angeles, and he used to have him and his 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 uh, English buddies used to have a, a football team that used to play out here. I mean, nothing that we'd ever get to play against each other for. But I mean, when we when we were out here in Los Angeles working with Humberto Humberto Gatica, uh, the engineer, uh, he, he he's from uh, he's from Brazil. And and he he had a lot of Brazilian friends, so we go and play football with him and his Brazilian friends. So we used to play back then. In those days, we could uh, we could run around quite a bit and play. And it was um, we used to enjoy having a kick around. But we never it was never on the TV. I mean, I remember uh, even when they had when they had the World Cup here in the United States, uh, there was the semifinal was on, and I was in a cab. Going to uh, going to uh, New York Airport, getting ready to fly over to to Europe, and, and me and the, this uh, a Puerto Rican cab driver were trying to find uh, the, a football game on the uh, on the radio. You know, the, the, and uh, and what they were playing was it was the uh, a replay on the Sports Channel. On the Sports Channel, they were playing a replay of the uh, Stanley Cup game. <laughs> That year, and so it was really sort of disrespectful. It didn't get very much respect from the from the sports uh, uh, media here, you know. So uh, maybe that was why it didn't really kick off straight away from that. You know, uh, I mean, thank God for the American uh, uh, ladies team who just done wonders in uh, in turning the interest around. Uh, probably more so, I would say, more so than the uh, than the male than the male team. Uh, the the the, the uh, USA uh, ladies soccer team has just done wondrous, wondrous, wondrous jobs. They do a great, great job of playing football, and they're you know deservedly, deservedly world champions. So. When uh, Pele was was part of the team in uh, 75, 76, 77, and even he was still related to the to the team after he stopped playing, uh, he famously, uh, as part of his deal with Warner and the and the Cosmos, had a had a um, had a music uh, uh, clause in there where he actually could do some music. And, and I think he collaborated with Sergio Mendez on, on some stuff. Did, were you ever part of the mix or were you ever asked to be part of the mix of, of maybe helping Pele get a couple of things out there in the, in the recorded music? No, no, sadly, no, I would love to have done that. That would have been fantastic. So hung around Pele quite a bit. That would have been wonderful. Yeah, no, 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 that never happened. Would that it had. 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know how great a musician he was. I mean, I've heard some of the music. I mean, it's not bad, uh, the, the album, but I mean, you know, people don't, I don't think, ascribe him as being sort of the uh, consummate musician per se. But I, but knowing in all the stuff that was swirling around Warner and, and Atlantic Records at the time, I was wondering if they were just part of the stable of being maybe possibly part of the mix. Uh, well, no, I mean, I, 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 we never really had too much to do with any of the, any of the players, you know, so other than just be fans and go and watch the game, that was it. You know, we were just really sort of, that was, we were just happy to do that. Anything that uh, you remember that stands out about the Erdogans or Steve Ross or any of the other crazy Cosmos egos that were sort of out there and stuff that, that, uh, or was it just sort of a big maelstrom of, of stars and soccer and, and your music blaring on the uh... yeah, there was there was there were there were moments in games that that, that you that that you that you'll never that you'll never forget you know I mean there's a uh, I mean when I talked about the French team playing the Cosmos they they really sort of handed the Cosmos their 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 asses but their their Pele wasn't playing and none of the none of the Canalia wasn't playing it was a lot of the 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 the, the main players weren't playing it was mainly. Uh, like a USA team that they put together for that, uh, for the, uh, but um, you know there was there was some really there were some really great great moments uh, of being out there of, of football. You know, uh, momentous moments of certain goals that sort of stick in my head that uh, that that people that people scored or uh, Canali was very much a guy that would sort of hang around, uh, hang around the, 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 the you know so almost offside. Area just sort of hang around there. We we called him a bit of a goal hanger, but when when he got on the end of a ball, he was just amazing to put in the back of a net. He was just like a a really great great player, you know. And so you know, it was it was it was that, and it was just wonderful to be a part of the whole thing. Really, I mean, to be a part of uh, Atlantic's uh, Atlantic's uh, 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 the Atlantic family, to be uh, a part of the uh, of the uh, cosmos. They just had a way of making you feel part of, of 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 of, of the company, and 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 you know if if it's worth anything at all, I still do feel very much a part of that company. I I have still have very very fond memories of uh, of the music that we made with Arif Martin and and uh, sessions and stuff that I did with Ahmed Erdogan and uh, he was he was just like a wonderful. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful man, and uh, and uh, uh, just uh, him and his wife, uh, Mika, uh, just wonderful people. Neswi, his brother, uh, Tuncherum, who was a, a, a basketball player, uh, a, a Turkish basketball player uh, that came over and worked in in A and R in in uh, in, uh, in Atlantic Records. Uh, just a really great man, and his wife Susan. And uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was it was it was it was a wonderful a wonderful moment. You had to have been there. Everybody should have a moment like that in their life. Well, your your career obviously was just was on fire uh, in those late seventies and early eighties, uh, and you were more than on your way uh, beyond even just the, the the constraints, if you will, of of the average white band. But uh, while that was going on, and the shock. I mean, we could we could we could literally spend a day going through literally all the. All the great artists and bands that that you played with, and and, and then some afterwards. Um, but while that 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 your red hot music career is, is ongoing, and and while we have you talk still about soccer for a couple more minutes, what do you think 
having well, I'm still here. <laughs> now, what do you think? What do you th- what do you think was the demise of the cosmos? I mean, you saw it in the heyday, but you probably also were around enough to sort of see it decline. Well, what was your perception of why maybe it didn't last longer? You know, I, I had no, for me, it just came to a screeching halt. It was kind of you know, it was like we went out on the road and we started working and 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 doing something. An average white man kind of kind of kind of stopped stopped working together and. Was I was more involved in uh, in 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 doing like session work and and you know, working with other people, Duran Duran, Eric Clapton, stuff like that, traveling out of the country. And then one day I turned around and I'm like, so what happened to the cosmos? Where did they go? You know, it was one of those things. I mean, I guess it's kind of like uh, I I think it's maybe you you can compare it to 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 today's music industry. It's like all of a sudden you look around and you go. Well, where the hell did that go? Where did where did those people go? Where where did that where did that go? Where did that 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 way of making music go? Instead of it being so much of a business, it's like you know. I, I guess the, the 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 difference between between then and now is is that if you went and saw somebody, uh, and 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 you and I went to Arif Martin and uh, or or Ahmed Erdogan and said, man, you know. I just saw this this uh, this person playing in this club. It's just incredible. And I said, oh, really? What you know? What, what what were they doing? And they'd start talking to you about the music. The last thing that they would ask you was, "How old are they? Or what did they look like?" You know, it was it was the, the it was all about all about the music, and and uh, and, and and it's kind of like, well, where where did that go? That's that's kind of gone now. You know? And now now it was the same thing that happened with the cosmos was that. One minute it was there, like burning, real bright, and then the next minute it was gone, and I and I couldn't figure out why because every Sunday was sold out. So you tell me, <laughs> what yeah. do you think happened? Yeah, well, we we've gone through a bunch of that with some of our our previous episodes and stuff, and and, and it's 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 complicated. There are a bunch of reasons. I mean, one of which was. The Cosmos, right, were the top spending team by then by a, a, a large margin, right? And there were a lot of teams that struggled to keep up with that kind of paycheck kind of thing and, and the, the top talent. And, you know, television wasn't really uh, solidifying. And it was popular in New York and a few other markets. But, you know, there were 20 some odd other teams out there, not all of which were nearly as financially secure. And, you know, Warner Communications had its own issues in the early 80s with Atari in particular, that kind of sabotaged the rest of the company. And frankly, a lot of the, and I suspect this is sort of as you were segueing out of AWB into other things, uh, you probably also saw, saw, saw that in, in Atlantic Records and in Warners that they were, you know, kind of uh, having to, you know, grit and, uh, and bear some, uh, some down economic times, both in the company and in the country. Right, right. I mean, I guess that's the only thing that I can things that happened that, that financially there was something fell out with that with out of the bottom of it and and uh, they just couldn't keep it going but yes I, I mean i did understand that there was that, that there was there wasn't much 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 competition for for the, for the cosmos but they did there were some teams that had some other players i think one of the and was it like chicago or some or detroit didn't they get Georgie Best or something to come and play with them? Oh, yeah, at some sure. Point? George, George Best played for three teams in the NASL in Los Angeles. He played in uh, Fort Lauderdale and in San Jose. Yeah, and he was uh, – matter of fact, one of our one of our dream guests as well uh, is, uh, is Elton John. I mean, I don't know how much he remembers about 1974 and owning 
the Los Angeles Aztecs and, and bringing George Best over to the NASL to play. Uh, but it would, right, right, right. it would be an interesting conversation for sure. And uh, we'll always keep our hope out that we can finally get him for a couple of minutes to talk about that. Well, you know, you can't keep us away from our football for too long. Yeah. All right. Well, so let, so let, me, let, let me let me let me ask you one last question. It's actually a, a two pronged question. One is sort of so you, you've been in the States for some time. Obviously, you're, I'm assuming you're still a, a, a proper football fan. What do you think the future of the sport is here in the United States, given now that we're. 30 teams in this thing called Major League Soccer. Do you think it's ever going to approach things like the English Premier League and and other international, you know, teams and that kind of stuff? Do you think it has a future in this country or or maybe it's still Well, I, 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 I think, you know, for me, I mean, when I look at English Premier League, it's better than it's better than any other league that's out there. It's just incredibly exciting to see that, you know. And and I and I and I think that you know that a lot of the American players some of your your better American players actually go and play in that league, and uh, and and come back with the experience of playing in there. I think what is one of the things, main things that I think that is missing and has been missing, was is is a good to- a good coach for the uh, for the American team. You know, when they had Klinsman, it became it actually started to look a bit like the game. It 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 it, it wasn't just Americans charging around. Playing American, playing American football, kind of aggressively. There was, there was a, there was a, there was more of a beauty to it, more of a flow to it, the way that they were playing. And I think, I think, I think that there's, I think America, you know, I think America could could put together a great team, a fantastic team of great players. There's, there's, the, you have the athletes, you have the training, you have the finances, you have everything to do that. But uh, what I think that it needs is the experience. It, 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 it can get there. You know, I think it can get there to be to be as uh, to the, this league, the leagues here, the players. But I think that they have to go and play there to be able to figure it out. Well, you you, li- you live in L.A. Have you gone? Uh, do you fancy yourself going to LAFC games or or Galaxy games, or is it not sort of your cup of tea? Yeah, the, the only the, uh, no, uh, you know what the only time that I've ever been there was was I went there to see a boxing match. <laughs> well, I think that answers <laughs> it. Right an <laughs> it's the only time I've ever been there, but you know, I mean, you know, they play they play down the street from me. There's uh, the football fields up in Balboa Park. They've they've redid all the football fields there. They play there every Sunday. There's lots of teams play there at the high school next to me. They have football matches there all the time, and uh, and, and and now I get to watch Premier League on the, on the TV. I, I I tape all the all the things and see all the all the all the games and um, and my. Uh, my 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 hometown team, the Seagulls, the Brighton Brighton and Hove Albion, you know, uh, uh, they I've been watching them play, and that's that's been that's been fun to be able to see them play in the in the Premier League and stay there, you know, by the skin of their teeth, but they're staying there, and uh, uh, so you know, I, I I think the interest the interest in 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 football here in America is as as has changed a lot from back then. Uh, I think that they figured out that. The, the game they don't have to stop and start the game to have adverts to to make money from it uh, that they can they, like they do in Europe they run the ads along the side of those panels around the uh, around the field and that money can still be made from it and uh, uh, they can still advertise add their advertising without interrupting the game or putting something over the game that you might miss something so uh, uh, I think it's uh, maybe it's a different world now. 
Well, I don't know. I think I think we got to get you to an MLS game in LA so that you can, you know, God forbid, maybe even come up with another theme for yet the next generation of sports teams here. I mean, you've, uh, you know, you've done well, it. I might, I might drag, I might drag myself down. I hear they got a new stadium down there now, so I might, I might, I might go down there and see when they start playing again. <laughs> Well, let me ask you one last question then. So musically, obviously, you, you've been uh, just a, a, a force, right? A, a drummer extraordinaire and then some, uh, with just literally a litany, a, a who's who of, of Grammy winners and uh, legacy talent and all that kind of stuff. And again, we, we, you know, we'll, 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 we'll do an intro that uh, sort of at least gives some of that justice. But um, so you, you've wrapped up with uh, uh, the Heartbreakers, right? And um, you've, got a, you've got a new band out or a relatively new band with some of your old mates, no, right now? Yeah, with uh, with 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 Hamish. Well, actually, it was a band called Three Sixty. It was Hamish and I and uh, Molly Duncan from Average White Band. But Molly passed away a couple of months ago, so uh, uh, there's uh, there's only Two Sixty now. <laughs> so, 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 and we're, and we're, we're both we're both rapidly approaching Two Seventy. But uh, but uh, we did we did play we did go to England and do a tour and finish the tour that we were supposed to do with Molly, and we had a really nice. Uh, m- memorial service uh, uh, in Montrose with with his family, and uh, and I said to him, he said, "What do you think we should keep going?" He said, "Yeah, let's do some." So we we've been we've been uh, writing some more songs, and uh, we'll we, we, we put something else out maybe the end of next year. And that's great. I get the sense that that you you don't strike me as the retiring type, right? I, I sense that music is is always going to be part of your life, and you've got lots more still left in you. In some form or fashion, no. Well, it's kind of it's kind of hard to retire from playing. You know, it's like I just play. <laughs> it's a uh, I love play. I love making music. I love there's there's nothing like it. I mean, I I really love doing it. I mean, I I, I play. I have a, a little uh, jazz band. Uh, uh, I got invited to play with two guys, uh, uh, Matt Politano and Matt Corey. They invited me to play jazz at this jazz gig out in the Pasadena. On uh, on uh, Tuesdays, and I said, "Oh, fantastic! Nobody ever asked me to play jazz, and I love playing jazz. And I got a little jazz kit and everything." And and they said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, great. Well, this is this is fine." I said, "Well, uh, so next Tuesday, yeah, and 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 what time's the hit?" And they said, "Eight o'clock in the morning." And I said, "Eight o'clock in the morning? You're going to play jazz at eight o'clock in the morning?" And I said, "Yeah, that was two years ago, and uh, and I've been doing it ever since. And it's something that I really when 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 we do it." Was that if I'm in town, I'm there on a Tuesday morning, and we're not going to play for the next couple of weeks because they're out of town doing stuff with their families. I'm really pissed at them because it would be really nice if they. I feel like playing around Christmas, <laughs> but uh, but I, you know, I just love doing that. I love uh, I just love making music, and uh, you know, I'm going to fi- try and finish an album that I started off started on my own. You know, with a. That's uh, uh, twenty years ago. I started to record some songs here and there, and I got to finish that this year. I'm going to get that done. See if I can get it. Twenty twenty is my objective to get it finished. So, all right. Well, you, you you keep us abreast as to when that's coming out, so that we can promote it. And I want to leave you with one last favorite of mine. I mean, you've got a, just a, a hundreds and hundreds of great tracks that you've you've been part of over the years. I just want to tell you that one that I that stands out in my mind that I absolutely love, uh, and I only recently discovered that you were the drummer for uh and that was from shaka khan's um what you're going to do for me album and that's the title track what you're going to do for me yeah you you, yeah. you bang the hell out of that song and it is just it's it's just it's the essence of you uh, as soulful and 
just you keep that song together and pump that song. Uh, whatever Arif di- did in the studio, whatever Shaka did in the studio, with all due respect, I think you're the one that made that that track drive. And uh, I love it and love it even more now that I know that you were part of it. So uh, just a small taste well, of you. you. Know, we, did, we, we did it twice, you know. Okay. <laughs> we did it twice. Well, it was done. It was originally an average white man song, and Shaka comes to you see. This is one of one of those things. She comes to visit and hang out with us in the studio, and she just sat, sang in it, sang it, sang the, sang the choruses along with Hamish when we when we when we recorded it with Average White Man, and she said, "Well, you know, if you ever get around to wanting to, wanting me to do that song, I'd love to do it." So, uh, Clyde Davis Clyde Davis wouldn't put that song out as a single for Average White Man. He said that it wasn't the song wasn't right for us. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, we recorded it with uh, Shaka. We, 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 Hamish and I were recording uh, that album with Shaka in Switzerland, and we recorded what you're gonna what you're gonna do for me with her, and she had a huge hit with it. <laughs> no, it's a fa- it's a fantastic song, and it, and it holds up. It holds up, and then some. It's 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 it, it feels like it was recorded yesterday. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was. It was it, you know, that was, that was when we used to make music. All right, I'm sorry. Instead one, of making records, we made music. Well, right, one last quick question. I'm sorry. Is there any chance, any thought, any possibility? And I don't know what the the the, the situation is and stuff that you would quote unquote reunite or or, or play a couple more gigs with uh, some of the other remaining members of, of of Average White Band, or is that ship kind of sailed? Well, you know, I'm not I'm not really sure. I, uh, my door is always open for that. I think Hamish's door is open for that. I think you'd have to talk to Alan and Oni about that one more than anybody else. You that know, that'd be a good question for them. Do you have their number? No, I, well, I don't have any reason to call them. I mean, they, I mean, they, I guess I could ask them about the, what their thoughts about the Cosmos theme was. But um, uh, at some yeah, point, absolutely. sure, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to reach out and see, <laughs> see if they have any different memories of it. Sure, and make it ask them that question too. Happy. Oh, to I'll send you their number. Well, okay. I think there are a lot of average white band fans that would argue that you guys were sort of part of that sort of classic time and, and lineup in the mid to late 70s, early 80s that was, you know, called the, you know, the essential, I guess the, you know, obviously lots of band members have come and gone in that band, but arguably you were part of that sort of, that, that main sort of uh, uh, time that people sort of classically remember AWB for. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, that was, that was the, uh, the creative era, area for average white band, I think, uh, it's kind of stopped when, when we broke up there for a second, so, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, they still play, they still play great, I mean, as I go and see them, sit in with them every once in a while, but they, they ain't nothing like the original thing, it, it, it was, it was really a special thing to have, uh, uh, to, to, to put that, that rhythm section and that, that that band and those vocals together, it was really special. Yeah. Well, I, I have just have one wish as we depart here, and I I thank you tremendously for for all of your time and and for furtively talking to me in your car while the game goes on in in, in L.A. Uh, <laughs> is, uh, uh, is somehow some of you guys could get back together at a gig, say in the New York area, and just for kicks play the Cosmos theme. It would be, I I think there'd be more than a few people that not only would remember it but would clap with you along the way. <laughs> All right, well, let's see what we can do about that. I'll talk to Hamish about it. All right, there it is. The uh, door is open, and uh, we look uh, forward to figuring out maybe uh, uh, the opportunity to perhaps, <laughs> in our own selfish way, maybe get. Uh, 
uh, Steve and uh, the remaining uh, members of uh, today's touring uh, Average White Band back together for at least one little session, maybe to sort of recreate uh, that great Cosmos theme uh, known as the, by the way, they were under the, the gnom diploma of, of the Cosmic Highlanders. I think we kind of mentioned that a little bit, but uh, if you're looking for it on, uh, on eBay uh, or, or looking for it out there in the ether, uh, you will f- not find uh, the song, uh, the Cosmos theme song under the, uh, the name of the uh, Average White Band or even AWB for that matter. Uh, you will find them under their pseudonym uh, known as the Cosmic Highlanders. And um, uh, the record was issued as a single. I'm not sure if it was uh, widely available beyond the uh, the hallways and the, uh, you know, the merchant stands of, of Giant Stadium back in the day. But um, uh, we'll have a, a, a picture of the, of the sleeve on our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com. You search up the episode number 146 with Steve Ferrone. Uh, not only will you find the, this episode and, of course, all the other episodes, but you'll find a bunch of uh, of images and memories and, uh, and of course, uh, all kinds of links to great stuff all across uh, the web on on some of our uh, uh, great uh, books and, and media that uh, our various guests have, have done. But uh, if you want to find a, a visual of what that uh, 45 looked like back in the day of the Cosmos theme, you'll find it there uh, on that episode uh, number 146 on Good Seats stillavailable.com. You want to check out uh, what Steve Ferrone is up to. And yeah, he's constantly on the road, constantly uh, sitting in with all kinds of uh, great musicians. Uh, he's got his own band uh, out there, the 360 uh, band, may perhaps maybe renamed, we'll see. But uh, you can check him out at steveferrone.com. Make sure you spell it right. That's Steve Ferrone, F-E-R-R-O-N-E.com. And that's where you can find all of what uh, Steve is up to. Uh, on the road, in the studio, and uh, then some. And uh, you, again, you want to find out what uh, we're doing uh, with this little show, both this week as well as ongoing. It's GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com. Bookmark it. Go there early and often. You'll find all the old episodes as well as links to all the stuff that uh, will keep you in touch uh, with this uh, little showgram here. And we appreciate your doing so. You want to uh, track us on uh, on social media? Well, look for us on Instagram at GoodSeatsStillAvailable. Uh, you'll find us on Twitter at Good Seats Still. Uh, you'll find us on Facebook. There's a page devoted to us there. You want to send us some email? Go right ahead. We're at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Any of the old members of AWB want to reach out and contact me for your own memories of the uh, Cosmic Highlanders Cosmos theme production process? By all means, we'd love to have you. And then maybe we'll twist your arm and see if we can get, a, uh, get you together with Steve and maybe produce and sing the song again. That would be fun and a great uh, sort of closing of the historic circle uh, for we Cosmos fans out there. And we appreciate that. Also, while you're on the website, if you want to sign up for our weekly email newsletter, you can do that, too. There's a link to uh, that there uh, as well. And one last thing, of course, our friend Jerry Payne and Podfly Productions. Uh, they are the uh, producers uh, of all of our collective pieces each and every week. Makes us uh, sound somewhat uh, humanly consumable. And uh, we appreciate it every week, of course. And you want to find out more about Podfly and their production efforts uh, and their services, of course, you can do so by going to podfly.net. All right, we leave you this week with the full, long version of the Cosmos theme, inclusive of the uh, infamous or famous, depending on your perspective, Cosmos clap. Yeah, you'll hear it a couple of times in there. And uh, please enjoy it. It's Steve Ferrone and his friends in the old AWB, the Cosmic Highlanders. And uh, we uh, thank you for listening this week. And until next week, ta-ta and uh, be well. <laughs>